I had a dream. I entered what had once been a hospital emergency room, a trauma center. In days gone by, this trauma center had treated the most serious illnesses, the most critical of all cases. People with gunshot wounds and broken bones, heart attacks and auto accident victims. People that were so sick without immediate attention, immediate intervention, their lives would end. But something had happened to this trauma center. Over the years, as the sick and dying continued to pour in, there became fewer and fewer staff to care for the critically injured. The equipment in the trauma center became old and obsolete. And the shortage of staff combined with obsolete care soon began to undermine the center's ability to care for the critically ill. It didn't happen overnight. But over time, things began to change. People began to stop coming to this trauma center. The staff deserted until finally there was no one left. The emergency room that I saw in my dream had peeling paint and antique equipment and absolutely no medical personnel. There were some sick that were there, some with chronic cases of illness, waiting to be treated, but there was no one there to help. It was an atmosphere of sickness, hopelessness, and death. A trauma center has been. What a travesty. A vital, living, fully functioning trauma center, now itself dead and gone. I believe that many churches today are just like that trauma center. At one time in their heyday, people were pouring in, people with needs, the wounded, the sick, the critically ill, people in desperate need of help, primarily spiritual help. But slowly over time, the trauma center, the church lost the sense of mission, the sense of passion and vision. And one by one, the workers left, a has-been. Well, God has called his church Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, to be exact, to be a trauma center. We are not a social club. We are to be an emergency room where wounded people can have their lives restored and they can have their lives saved. Today we're going to talk about engaging the culture and changing lives, making a difference in our community. Last Sunday, we saw the journey to the miracle, and I hope, I hope that you had your expectations raised of the fact that God can work the miraculous today. Shortly after the story we looked at last week, Jesus continues his mission, and he encounters need, and I'd like us to join him, this time in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, the ninth chapter, it's on page 790, if you're looking at it for the Bible in front of you. Page 790, it's Matthew 9, starting with verse... 35. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. As Jesus went around 
the countryside and minister to needs of people today. At the church, we are also called to minister to needs. And I want us to see what we can learn from this account. First of all, seemingly the obvious is people have needs. People have needs. The fact that people have needs seems obvious, but take into account that we are trained at a very early age to hide our needs, to, to deny our needs, or to see needs as a sign of weakness. People around us have spent a lifetime disguising needs, hiding their hurts. Our goal seems to be to convince everyone that all is well, when in reality, many are experiencing challenges far beyond their ability to cope. We just, we just don't want anybody to know about it. Sometimes we need a reminder that people around us have needs. And we look at the crowd around Jesus. Jesus, it was probably a mixture of curiosity seekers, just people wondering what was going on. There were doubters, there were people who were interested, and some just very sick. And it probably included every kind of person, every class, every profession, every position, every background, and social status. And Jesus engaged the culture where they were because they had one thing in common. Whether they knew it or not, they all had need. Now there are three word pictures that Jesus uses and he describes them in, in, in detail. And Jesus used the culture of the day and it was, a lot of times it was agricultural and different terms that we don't understand as well. But I want to just kind of unpack a little bit about this this morning. The first word and, and the first three word pictures all describe sheep. Sheep, okay. How many of you have sheep? You have anybody has sheep? Some of you have acreage, no sheep. Okay, okay. Just wanted to see. Well, the first word to describe sheep is harassed, harassed, and it, it really is distressed or meaning wounded or having skin torn. This is a this word is a description of sheep that have wandered through thorns or brambles or rocks. Now behind behind the house that Judy Judy and I own in Seattle. There's a green belt, and we, we, we have a fence in the back of our yard which separates the green belt. It's about 300 feet of trees and something that you all love to see, and that's blackberry bushes, blackberry bushes. And, and these blackberry bushes, we'd been in the house about three years, and I noticed one morning I got up, it seemed like it happened overnight, all of a sudden these blackberry bushes looked like they were growing under the fence and over the fence, and I had this picture of blackberry bushes coming and enveloping the entire house, and I, it's just like I said, wow, what am I gonna do about this? So I basically spent three hours one day crawling around, cutting off the blackberry bushes at the root area just to get rid of them, to cut them back from the fence so that they didn't take over the yard. And if you've worked with blackberries, you know how horrible the thorns are on blackberry bushes. You may have just picked blackberries. That's not the same thing. This is different. And when I finished, my arms and legs were scratched up and literally bleeding. Well, the word harassed or distressed gives us a picture of that kind of woundedness. People, sheep basically, whose skin is flayed, is scratched and bleeding, it's torn, either from thorns or rocks or it's mangled and bleeding from attack of a wild animal. So he's describing people as sheep that are wounded and they're bleeding and they're in pain. And as you look around your life and the people you know, how many people do you know who are cut and torn by life circumstances? They're just wounded people. They've had their lives torn apart. They're bleeding. They're in pain. And maybe that's something you're experiencing here this morning. Or, or if you're listening online, maybe that's the state you're in. Life has been unkind. P 
People have needs. People are, are wounded and in pain. The next word used to describe the needs of people is helpless. Helpless. Uh, downcast is one of the words. It means thrown down, prone, or exhausted. And this word is a description of what happens to sheep when they have a full coat of wool before they're shorn. Um, I, had a, I had an opportunity to go to Scotland um, to work on a project several years ago, and, and one of the things you see all over Scotland are sheep. And the, the kind of sheep, they have these skinny heads and skinny noses, and you look at them, and their, their, their head is really skinny, and I used to think it was a caricature, but, and then they have this big body of wool, and you go, man, that's freaky. They look so out of proportion. But what happens, when they're shorn, when they take the wool off, they are, they're skinny all over, but they have this big wool coat. Well, what happens when they get this big wool coat is it gets so heavy that if they fall down, they can't get up. And that's true. It's like the, the commercial that says that little medical alert that says, help, I fell down and I can't get up. That's kind of what it's like. But they don't have those medical alerts, okay? So when, when sheep fall down, they literally cannot get up. It's, the coat is so heavy they can't get up. They're heavy, they're tired, they're exhausted. Helpless, that's a picture. That's what it means by this word. And many people, I'm sure that you know, are in that state. They're worn out, they're exhausted, they're just too weak. You, you, life is too challenging or too hard, they've fallen down. And you hear people say, I just can't seem to get over it, or I can't seem to recover from it. Helpless, they need help. Maybe some here today have the same kind of need where you need help, you're just tired, exhausted. The third word picture describing people's needs is leader, leaderless. It says without a, without a shepherd, talking about without a shepherd. Now, like it or not, we, we are compared to sheep. Okay? And the comparison of people to sheep is not accidental nor incidental. And I, I get a little insulted when I read this at times, but it's true. We are compared to sheep, and sheep are the dumbest of all animals. Okay? So you can be insulted if you want. It's in the word. Don't, don't, don't blame me. Okay? Just, say, just saying. They're the dumbest of all animals, and they need care, the most care. They need to be led where they're going to eat. They need to be protected from animals. They need to be protected from the weather. They get spooked if they are led and there's a, a fast running stream they're supposed to drink out of, they, they get spooked out. Um, they have a herd mentality. They're easily confused and, and they're helpless, of course, as we looked at when their wool coat grows. They can't shave their own coat off or get rid of their coat. They are helpless to do that. And the picture that Jesus draws here when he has these three words is of people who are wounded and helpless and without leadership. No one to relieve the pain, no one to help them get up. No one to lead or protect them. It's like the people who sense their need and they come to a trauma center or they can't get to the trauma center and they can't get help. That's a, that's a picture of people in our world around us, the people that we live with and work with. And Jesus didn't just see crowds. Jesus saw individuals in that crown. And as, as, as Jesus looks over us today, he sees the individuals here at Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. He sees each individual, all of us, with our dreams, our aspirations, our goals, our, our wounds, our hurts, and our needs. And he also looks out there over the city of Eau Claire in the Chippewa Valley, and he sees each heart. He sees every hurt, every pain, every doubt, every fear, every bit of confusion. Jesus sees the needs. And he calls on us to see the needs. People hide them. But he says, I want you to see the needs. The needs are great. Then, 
Secondly, Jesus engaged the people's needs. He engaged the people's needs. He did that by start, he started with teaching. He challenged their ideas of, of culture and truth. There's so much misinformation out there, so mistruth and so much untruth and so much misinformation that, that we base our lives on that we need to tell people truth, the truth based on the word of God, moral principles, truth. People need truth. Then he was preaching, he was teaching, he was preaching. He told the good news about the kingdom of God. The fact that we have a God who created everything, and he didn't just leave it in orbit and say, good luck, everybody. I hope you make it to whatever the end of your life is. He was the God that when people rebelled against him, all the way back at the very beginning, he said, I'm gonna, rest- I'm gonna be the seeking, searching God. I wanna restore the relationship with you. And so he was a seeking, searching God. That's the good news, the preaching of the gospel, that God is a God who loves us, cares, cares for us. We matter to him, and he's going to go out and try to find us to bring us into him. That's the good news. And when, when we have people out there, the message they need to hear from us, how we engage them is that God cares about you, God loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. He initiated, he paid for the relationship. He did everything. All we have to do is engage in that relationship. And then he healed people. He got involved. He touched people. And I really believe that God is calling us as a a church of Jesus Christ to reach out and touch and heal people. People have needs, and he's calling us to pray for and reach out and heal. It's not us that heal. Jesus heals. But he uses people. And in verse 36, It says, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, compassion is not just feeling sorry for somebody. Compassion is empathy with a deep desire to relieve the suffering. It includes a deep empathy, an identification with. In other words, feeling what someone else feels. He felt what they feel. To feel sorry for can be passive. Oh, I feel sorry for you. That's passive. Compassion is an active word. Passion to relieve the suffering. And what did Jesus want to do? He wanted to take care of, first of all, the physical needs. These were the needs on the surface, and anybody could see these needs, the sick, the blind, the lame, the crippled, the deformed, the lepers. These were obvious signs of need. And Jesus engaged his culture by ministering to physical needs. Are we to do the same? Yes, God has called us to minister to physical needs. Not just praying for healing, but people who have other kinds of needs. Jesus engaged his culture by seeking to relieve the suffering and changing lives. Very real. Deeper still are emotional needs. These are things you can't see as easily. The hurts of life, when when someone loses a loved one or they've been abused as a child or there's an experienced unmarital unfaithfulness or conflict in marriage, problems with children, challenges with parents, spousal abuse, depression, peer pressure. We can go on and on and list these emotional needs. And these needs are just as apparent or just as real, but not as apparent. It's hard to see those things. But Jesus saw those and he engaged his culture at that level. People all around us are suffering those kinds of severe pain and suffering, emotional needs. Maybe you. Jesus cares about those needs. He engages in those needs. He took action to relieve the suffering. But deepest of all were spiritual needs. Spiritual needs. 
empty lives, people who are oppressed by satanic or occult forces and demonized or demon-possessed. It's very real. It was very real back then. It's very real today. People that, that have certain strongholds in their life or they're oppressed by the devil. Addictions, whatever it might be. It needs so deep that the only solution is a spiritual solution. That's the starting point. That's the foundation. Maybe it's an emptiness that just can't be filled. It just won't go away. A feeling is always not right. There's got to be more meaning to life. There's no direction or purpose. There's an NFL coach. Who I think he's a, he's a, uh, a football coach now. He was at last at Pittsburgh. And his name is David Wanstead. David, Dave Wanstead actually uh, coached the Bears for a period of time. Chicago Bears. And Dave Wanstead, back in the 90s, was an assistant coach for the Miami Hurricanes. And a friend of ours, a friend of Judy and mine, was, was the chaplain for the Miami Hurricanes, as well as some of the other teams. He worked with, uh, uh, with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes with Camps Crusade for Christ. And he had a chance to lead chapels and, and share Christ and make an impact on the athletes and the coaches. And Dave Wanstead came to him one day and asked, can we do lunch? He said, sure. So he met him for lunch, and Dave Wanstead, the Miami Hurricanes were at the, at the peak of their national title search. I mean, they were, they were at the top of everything. And he said, you know, he listed his accomplishments as a coach up to that point, his successes, the national ranking, the great money he made, his family that was doing well. He, he said to Steve, he said, all of these things are going incredibly well in my life. But he said, there's a big hole in my heart. Do you think it has something to do with Jesus? Whoa, what an opening. And it was an incredible opportunity because he sensed that he had all of these things, but there was an emptiness. It doesn't matter how much you've accomplished. There was an emptiness in his heart and soul that could only be filled with Jesus. And he recognized that. And Steve had an opportunity to lead him to Christ. And you can hear his testimony. He waited about five years before all his life kind of got cleaned up before he started giving his testimony. But it was an amazing testimony. If you hear it, or you can go online, you can probably hear Dave Wanstead sharing his faith. A great Christian influence in NFL and in college football, still today. Well, Jesus sees those needs, that emptiness. And if you're not sure what those needs are, he will help you discover those needs. Those of us who have found spiritual healing in life, pray that God would enable you to see the needs of people around us. You know, we hide our needs, we cover them up, we posture, we do all kinds of things. And people will do that to us, but say, God, help me to see people as you see them so that I can see past this facade and see the true heart and the true needs. Spiritual needs are the most difficult to see, the easiest to hide, but they're more foundational. And Jesus engaged people at this level. John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's that spiritual hunger and thirst. John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Not only will your thirst be quenched, but it'll become so overflowing that it'll flow out to people around you who need to know that thirst-quenching power of God. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks in me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. A light and understanding of life. John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. These are all 
ways that Jesus fills, not only the physical, emotional, but the spiritual needs of people around us. Now the text moves from animal husbandry to grain farming, okay? Stay with me. We're moving from sheep to grain, okay? It's, it's interesting how Jesus takes the culture. You know, when you talk to people, you're going you're to have to take their culture and translate some of this into their thing. You, uh, some of this won't make sense to them. But it made sense to the people of that, of that day. He moves to grain farming. So let's unpack that a little bit. An illustration from agriculture, he says, says to his disciples, verses 37 and 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What does he mean? See, people have needs, people engaged. Jesus engaged in the people's needs. And now he's saying, number three, people are ready for Jesus. People are ready. People are ready to be engaged with the good news of Jesus Christ that you bring, that I bring to them. And when people see their needs, they realize they don't have the capacity to fill them themselves. They begin to look outside of themselves for the answer to those needs. And all those needs can be met by Jesus. Something about, something about understanding that we have need that, that makes us look outside ourselves. How many, how many of you uh, know what a gallbladder is? Okay, good, just checking to see. Um, how many of you know what the gallbladder does? Okay, yeah, it's, it's basically a turbocharger for fat in the stomach that helps break down stuff, just, just so you know. Um, you don't have to think about it because it just happens automatically. Um, who still has their gallbladder? Okay, I don't, but that's, that's why, that's the story. Here we go. It's kind of like the appendix, it's fine without, you can live fine without the gallbladder. Well, back, back in 1993, which is way last century, way before you guys were born, okay? This is way last century. I began to have the severe pain in my abdominal area. The pain would come without any warning, and Judy would say, what is wrong with you? And, you know, first I wondered if it was a heart attack, and I was too young, and it was like, I can't be having a heart attack. So one time I had Judy take me to the emergency room, and I was in such pain that I went up to the, to the you know, the counter, you know, at the nurse's station, they had one of this, the, and, and they had the, the lady behind, the, at the admittance counter, and I was in such incredible pain that all I could do was curl up in a fetal position on the floor. And this empathetic, you know, just sympathetic nurse sat there, leaned over and said, what's the matter, aren't you feeling well? <laughs> been there, been there, yes. Now, now, now if, you, if you work in a hospital, don't, you know, I'm not, you know, trying to say anything negative. This was, it was just like, you know, but I would never have gone to the emergency room or trauma center until I had that pain, you know. And men are especially bad about doing this, but, and it was a gallbladder. I eventually had it out and I'm, I'm fine today. But, the reason I went to the trauma center is because I was aware of a need. There was pain. And we need to be aware and help people understand their needs in that. People are aware, Jesus says. He says they're ripe. They're, they're ready to be engaged with the message of Jesus. And we look at people's lives out there and we say, you know what, everybody has it together, everything's going well, whatever. No, it's not true. So pray, ask God, show me where the harvest is ripe. Show me people that are ready to be engaged with the message of Jesus. Jesus says they're ready. The question is, are we? Are we ready? Is the church ready to be a trauma center? Are we aware of the needs of people so we can point them to Jesus? Expecting Jesus. Expect Jesus. 
How, what, when? I'm going to encourage you to raise your expectancy of Jesus. Expect Jesus when you wake up. Expect Jesus when you pray. Expect him to answer prayer. When you open the Bible, expect Jesus to speak to you. Speak to you. Every time you come to be in a gathering of believers, expect to meet with Jesus, the living God. You know, otherwise it's just a religious exercise. We're just kind of here and we're, we're the social club having, having refreshments. No. I don't, it doesn't matter how good the coffee is. We're not here to have coffee. No. <laughs> we're here. One of the reasons we're here is to have coffee. The main reason is we're here to meet with Jesus, the living God, and to be transformed by him in contact with him and the living word. Expect Jesus. And I want to encourage you to raise your expectations of that. And expect Jesus to prepare people. To prepare people. Expect him. The people are ready, he says. Are we? Then he said the challenge is great. There's lots of work. Lots of work. But a shortage of workers. The workers are few. Most of the trauma center workers left. But the harvest is ready. The people that need help are there. There's, but there's a shortage of harvesters. What field are you in? What trauma center are you attached to? People say, you know, I don't know if I can do that. Well, good. The final truth is power is available. Power is available. What does Jesus ask us to do? He said, ask the Lord of the harvest. He says, basically, he's saying, ask God or pray. Pray. He doesn't say recruit. He doesn't say start programs. He doesn't say start ministries. He doesn't say find out what's working in other churches and do that here. He says, pray. Prayer isn't part of the ministry. Prayer is the ministry. How do we know? Pray. Ask God. Prayer sends out the workers. Somebody said, pray as if everything depended on God and work as if everything depended on us. We can do all we can, but if God doesn't accomplish it, nothing happens. It's God's harvest, it's God's workers, we're called to pray. Pray that God will provide workers for our trauma center. Pray that God will provide workers for our harvest field. Pray that people will see their needs. Pray that people will discover this trauma center and come to receive healing from Jesus. And expect Jesus to answer. This is the same Jesus, the same God that we read about is the Jesus, the God, that we worship today. He has not changed. He hasn't moved away. He's right here. I want to encourage you to expect, as we engage this culture of ours, expect Jesus to change lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of the universe. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you, by your Spirit, would move in our lives and heart. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us understand that the same power that was exerted in the days of Jesus through his, his hands and his body, he passed on to the body of Christ in the book of Acts, and they exerted the same power, the same life-changing and transformation power to the lives of people. And that's the same power that exists today in us and I pray that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. 